Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Four hours of trauma. <laughs> Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. Fly ball, deep center. Back is Broxton. He leaps. Oh my goodness! He's done it again! Keon Broxton pulls another home run back. <laughs> this guy. Something else. Amazing. Oh well, yeah. Things uh, just keep getting worse, Roy Smalley, for for the Twins. They won one game in the last week and a half on the most recent road trip, and I have to think that that's got to be a tough clubhouse right now. Just uh, there's not a whole lot of hope for playoffs, and you're sitting here before the trade deadline. Um, what, what do you make of this thing right now? Well, uh, I make of it uh, pretty much uh, what you're making of it. It's it, it's really not good, and yeah. uh, you know there's no sense. Probably uh, talking about all the reasons. I mean, we we, we kind of have enumerated those. We, we we know what's what's going on, but it is a tough clubhouse. They, they, these times are, are are really really hard on uh, the players and manager for sure. Hey Roy uh, Kepler, since June first, uh, he is hitting one sixty three, a home run, and six RBIs. When you watch him now, and, and it's been an extended period, when you watch his at bats, because there, there have been times where we've talked about this kid and he's been fantastic. What do you see uh, not working there right now? You know, I, there's. I just think there's some confusion uh, going on. He's still uh, still young enough, and, and um, that that um, you know that kind of that that can creep in there. And, and I think we talked about this last week. Uh, I, I really don't think that he has ever had to have a a, a plan at the plate, and um, he's he's uh, he's got a great swing. Uh, and he's um, he's you know obviously talented, um, and he's uh, he made it to the big leagues, uh, you know just doing what he what he's always done. And and his philosophy is that you know I don't want to think too much about mechanics or anything. I just want to go up and hit the ball as hard as I can, and, and which is really a, a great way to to think about it. Just you know, hit the ball with the big end of the bat as hard as you can. Except that at this level, you have to you, you have to give in to the idea that these pitchers are pretty good. They're going to have a plan to get you out, and you have to do everything to put yourself at an advantage. And not it just looks to me like he goes up there and swinging it at everything that's uh, that's in the strike zone, whether he's looking for that pitch or not. And then you make you make what happens is then it spirals. You make some outs. Then you start worrying about things you've never worried before. Worried about before, you know, legs and arms and hands and you know all that. 
and it it the psychology gets you know the psyche gets in the way and and it just gets it gets ugly. I mean, I've been there. I, I understand. I understand what it's like and what he's going through. Uh, has your optimism, your your long term, let's say three to five year optimism, waned at all? This is this is about the worst case scenario for this year's team. There still are a lot of really interesting young to in their prime pieces, and even guys who haven't come up to the big leagues yet, like Royce Lewis. So it seems like there's it's it's not hopeless for the future by any means. What is your level of optimism for like a three to five year window here, Roy? My level of optimism remains exactly the same as it's been, which is high, uh, as long as uh, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano come back and and uh, become the players that. You know, everybody has projected them to be, and if that's the case, then all the other pieces are going to be uh, terrific. You know, Rosario is going to continue to be good. I think Kepler will figure figure it out, and they've got kids in the system, and they will continue to get kids, you know, in the system that uh, that are going to give them a chance. So, I, I but for me, it all hinges on uh, on the on the kids. It's, it it has always hinged on. I mean, we're waiting for Sano and, and Buxton all these years to come through the minor leagues. Yep, and. Um, you know, here they are. If they turn out to be average players, then it's a then it's a reset. And um, my level of optimism would uh, would have to be uh, put on. Uh, we'd have to wait uh, wait two or three or four years till you know till the next crop of uh, can't miss superstars comes along. <laughs> I, but I, I still think it's going to happen. But it you know it's just taking longer than than I think people expected. All right. Are, are you more surprised by the uh, the decline from uh, from Paul's? First year in 2015 to 16, which was a disaster, or from the uh, pop back up year of 2017 to this year, because both years, I I would think the one thing that eventually you, you want this franchise to find again is consistency, right? Because it's this it's this you know drastic tick up for a while and and then down and then up and down that's got got to be the most fr- frustrating things. Which one surprised you more though, 17 to 18 or 15 to 16? Oh, I think seventeen to eighteen. I think I think this year is a surprise, a uh, bigger surprise. That you know, fifteen to sixteen, uh, you were still dealing with uh, really young kids. Uh, you, you got uh, off to a, just a horrendous, horrendous start. Uh, pitchers got hurt. Uh, you know, Gibson was hurt for a bit. Uh, Santana went down early on. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't close out of the bullpen. I think I think they, you know, they they blew twenty out of the first thirty saves or some ridiculous number like, like that. So. You know, it's they were they were a team that we were expecting to become good at some point in time, but not you know. And that those are kind of, they were young enough to when the spiral happens, you know, you, you see that coming. But this year, I mean, there are reasons there there are reasons why this year hasn't panned out, and, and injuries play a big a big part of that. And uh, you know, Polanco's suspension, uh, and, and particularly, and, and Santana's. Uh, Finger, I mean those things. Those are big for a young team, a relatively young team in the field. Those things are uh, are hard to overcome. But even with that, I think this has been a bigger surprise. Uh, Roy Smalley with us. The other thing they have to figure out. We talked about this last hour. Is is the catcher position long term? They had such a great run with AJ Przinsky and Joe Maurer. And uh, and they did have Wilson Ramos ready if if they didn't trade him away. So they they were sitting pretty good for like a decade, decade plus there. And if you we went back and looked at the last fifteen years of World Series winners and who their catchers were, and it's astounding. I mean, it's Hall of Famers, it's All Stars, uh, it's it's ten to fifteen year veteran guys. What is inside of a clubhouse and on the field? What are some of the 
the unquantifiable hidden values that stability at catcher brings to a team that the, that the Twins are still looking for right now? Well, you know, I, I think it's it's uh, kind of like um, having a uh, a shortstop that uh, that doesn't that, you know it's a great defensive uh, player, but um, but doesn't give me any kind of offense like Pedro Florimont. I mean, I, uh, back a few years ago, I mean, you just couldn't figure it out the plate, and a manager just can't you know you can't look at you know one ninety or two hundred or two ten day in day out, no matter how good you know defensively is catcher. It, it, there's two things going on there. You, the teams that are you know that are winning, they are getting some production from you know offensive production from you know behind the plate. I think that's I think that's really important. I don't think that position can be a, can be a no offense uh, position, but also just the day in day out stability to which you refer. I think it's um, you know working with the pitching staff, the same guy um, you know day in day out. I think that's that's important as well. It shouldn't matter. Uh, nearly as much to this group of pitchers. I mean, we can't call this staff a young staff, right? I mean, with the exception of, you know, just a, with with the, with the two kids. But I mean, it's it's it, it ought not matter who's behind the behind the plate. But you have to have you have to have offensive production of a catcher. I just I just don't think you can uh, that can be a. I don't care what you hit, just call a good game. I, I don't think that works anymore. And right, I think the thing too is defensively, at least too. If you have a good catcher, you you take it for granted because that player has the ability to make the position look simple. Uh, and not to pick on this guy in particular, but Mitch Garver, you watch him catch, and and I think you get a view of how difficult that spot can be because he's not polished. So you know, with a guy like Castro, you see him catch, and, and you think, oh, that's not that hard. But then I watch Garver catch, and I'm like, you know what? It's not nearly as simple as we think it is a lot of times. <laughs> no, and that's not to be mean to to him, but he just he struggles at times behind the plate. And it's the toughest position on the field to, uh, you know, to, to play well. There's no, there's absolutely no question, uh, about that. And, uh, it, and we are seeing, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, what happens when the, when the catcher's still, you know, still learning, you know, still, uh, not quite as, as polished. And, uh, to your point, I mean, not to, not to say he won't get there, but, um, you know, learning on the fly or, or trying to polish on the, on the fly in the big ways is, is difficult. Hey, did you, you probably never uh, had a chance to play at Wrigley Field, did you? I never did. I never did. Yeah. Um, I saw it when I was a baby when my dad played there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never, I never, I never did play. I, I played there, and I'm, it's one of one of my disappointments, and in, in otherwise, uh, uh, not a fairly disappointment free uh, career. But I, I would love to, uh, love to have played there. Would that be what would your top three ballparks you never played in that that were available? You know, when when you were playing. Wrigley Field's one of them. I suppose oh, there's Wrigley. some National League ones out there. Yeah, Wrigley Field um, uh, for sure. But but for me, it would be it would be the old ones. You know, Crosley yeah. Field in uh, in Cincinnati, and uh, yeah. it, it, uh, <laughs> the uh, old uh, Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, and and um, uh, I think it was Forbes Field in, um, in in Pittsburgh. You know, those kinds of things. But only because when I was a kid, I watched the old you know black and whites of uh, you know Mazeroski hitting a home run and and. Uh, and Duke Snyder and Ebbetsfield, you know those kinds of things. I mean, I I just I, I love that the historical perspective. That's why when I came up and you know played a lot of my career, you know, early on in in old Tiger Stadium and old Comiskey, and I, I just I, I, I and old Baltimore the Memorial Stadium. I, I just love those old ballparks just because of the you know not to mention Fenway and, and Yankee Stadium. You know, Fenway is still Fenway is the American League Wrigley, and that was still my favorite American League ballpark. 
Yeah. Hey, Roy, great stuff. Uh, this is about as depressing as it gets for yeah. the Twins. So really nothing nothing but up from this point We'll be forward. talking trade soon, Roy. I, I've got a feeling about that, don't you? <laughs> Hey, Judd, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to get Phil off the ledge here. I mean, he's 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 not sounding good to me. I'm. Uh, it's very disappointing. I'm, I will I will say that I'm, for Phil. I'm definitely ready to jump here, and it's a little windy. So, <laughs> okay, guys, keep your right. chins up. All right, bye, See Roy. See Roy Smalley, Fox Sports North. Oh, yeah. It would have been fun. Some yeah. of those old, old like he mentioned, Crosley Field. My mom went to uh, games there. Really? As a kid, yeah. She grew up there. Took the trolley to Crosley, and Crosley's the one that had an incline in the outfield. I want to say it might have been in left center, and, and in fact, before they got rid, rid of it in Houston, had the same thing. The that incline one, yeah. in center field that went up to the flagpole, that was done as a tribute uh, by Tal Smith uh, to Crosley Field. Yeah. I love some of the, what was the, um, I'll think of it, old school stadium. Polo Grounds? It, polo Grounds. In New where, York where, in polo Manhattan. Grounds was like a football field. Where it was yep. 250 down the lines, and then four... 80 or something. And the clubhouses were in, in in center field, if I'm not mistaken. Heck, yeah. when I started to watch the Cubs uh, on WGN in 82, the Cubs home clubhouse was down the left field line. You had to walk from the dugout. There was no there was no clubhouse adjacent so to, if you the had to dugout. Go to the dugout. So you had to go down the left field line. You have to walk past the shame down the line. You had to walk past the bullpens, and then the clubhouse, I believe, was in left field. Wow. Oh, those, those old ballparks were fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Crafty Rogues are going to come hang out with us later on this hour to uh, to break down round of 16 results, World Cup. Did you watch the England game the other day? I did not, but I heard all oh about it. Oh, my gosh. I heard all about it. They were very, it, very happy. It, 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 it felt like, it almost felt like the way Vikings fans felt after the Stefan Diggs touchdown, where bad things always happen at this point. Yeah. And then something amazing happens. They're the Vikings. But the tournament's not over. Yeah, and so they're... In that peak moment. And now they're saying, this could be it. And guess what? You got three more games left, though. Odds of heartbreak are very high for them. Yes. Attention! Radio alert. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. Deep in the left. That one's got a chance. And it is a home run for Nador. I think we're all frustrated. You know, it's... uh... You win one game and you're on the road for 10 days playing good teams. Um, better game today as far as we got a really nice effort from Jose. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, the home runs played, obviously. They, they hit three and uh, we almost hit a couple. You know, just uh, frustrating. You know, Dozier hits that ball and, and they made a heck of a play on that ball and then Esco goes deep. It's just kind of the way it goes. It's, it's uh, We're creating some of our own. Uh, problems at the same time we're not catching a lot of breaks. Depressed Paul right there. So Nate Orff, but by the way, did, did you see his home run? Yes. And, and every rule of the unwritten rule book that was violated after that? <laughs> yeah. Where where I think it was his first home run in the big leagues and he either didn't want to take a curtain call or didn't know to and the fans were cheering so he was carried by two teammates and waved violating every single rule. Is uh, is is the curtain call still a thing that fan so cuz sometimes I feel like in the new age of baseball fandom mm-hmm. fans are just cheering because of how awesome the situation is they're not gonna right they're not calling for the player right I'd i don't agree know with like, that. like if you were to pull baseball fans under the age of 50 and say what's a curtain call like what percentage of younger fans would even know what that is i don't know yeah yeah i i get the idea that fans were like cheering cheer and they but they carried him up they carried him up it, it violated everything i believe to be true about this great game yeah. by the way you know who's in town tonight starting a four-game series against the twins at target field 
Baltimore Orioles. They're they're pretty bad too. You might you guys might remember when the Orioles broke the unwritten rule way back in early April, I believe. When they when when that young catcher, that's right. Who I don't even know if he's still with them. The bunting because bunt, they're terrible. Bunt had yeah. the audacity to bunt against Barrios. I think retaliation's Dulles. in order for sure. Do you think it's early tonight? Do you think you lay down you lay down the law despite the fact both your teams are both teams are terrible? I think you have to hit Machado just to send a a full on message. Hey, Manny, to them. take this. Take yeah. this. Machado, who could be part of the Twins on a 10-year, $300 million contract this offseason. Maybe I wouldn't plunk him then. I'd want to keep him in the good graces. I'd keep him happy. Uh, stat for you, just to give you an idea about how bad the American League Central is right now. The Cleveland Indians are in first place by 11 and a half games. They've won four consecutive games. And their run differential is plus 75. Mm-hmm. After that, the Tigers, 11 and a half back. Run differential, minus 58. Yeah. The Twins, 12 back. Run differential minus thirty eight. The White Sox are eighteen and a half back. They are thirty and fifty six. They are at a minus one ten. And you say and you say, well, that's really bad. That's terrible. No, 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 no. I've got the Kansas City Royals for you. Twenty five and sixty one is their record. Twenty three and a half games back. Minus one sixty seven. The losing streaks of teams two, three, four, and five are two six for the Twins. Sox have actually only lost one in a row right now, so they they just won and then won a game and then lost a game. And the Kansas City Royals have lost six consecutive games. Oof. This That's is bad. this this is if you put this up historically against divisions, I don't think I've got a hyper- list. I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is on course to be one of the worst divisions ever in baseball. It's uh actually the Ringer wrote an article about this recently okay. in the last week or two. Help me out. And and the article is the the 2018 AL Central could be the worst division in the history of baseball. Go for it. And they went back and they used a bunch of different uh qualifiers and they tried to they tried to go they tried to use like strength of schedule for that era and run differential across the whole division. And right now, run differential across the division, this is the worst division ever. The second worst division is the 2005 American League West. And I'm trying to find that here. The 2005, that was the year that the Chicago White Sox won the World Series. Mm -hmm. The 2005 American League West had five teams in it. The Padres won the division. National League West, okay. What did I say? American League. Yeah, yeah. The National League West. Yes, I meant National League West. Yep, I'm sorry. I got National you. League West. Yep. The Padres won the division with 82 wins and 80 losses. <laughs> and then? The Diamondbacks went... So it was... It, all right, Diamondbacks went 77-85. Okay. Giants went 75-87. and 87, uh, Dodgers lost 91 games. And Rockies lost 95 games. I think the bottom... Four teams in the American League Central are going to wind up being worse than the bottom four teams here. The difference is you're going to have a legit, the Indians are a legit playoff team. Even in a tougher division, the Indians would be, I mean, they're not what they were maybe last year or two years ago when they went to a Game 7, 10th inning against the Cubs, chance to win a World Series. But that's the Indians are a legit team. Agreed. But in, in this case, there were no legit teams in the division, and somebody just had to, like, someone had to sit atop of it. And 82 and 80 is impossibly bad for a division winner, even in the division era of baseball. Uh, They also have the 2002 American League Central, the 2003 American League Central, both divisions the Twins took advantage of when the Indians were in transition. The White Sox were sort of formidable, but not really. The Royals were terrible for the most part. And the 2006 NL Central, if I remember right, 
That was the year the Cardinals won the World Series with 83 wins in the regular season to win the division. Mm-hmm. So, But two through five here is a complete dumpster fire. Embarrassment. And Kansas City, if any team ever belonged being demoted, right? Kansas City belongs in the Pacific Coast League in 2019. Oh, you mean relegated? Relegate them out of this. They don't, <laughs> they don't deserve to be yeah. here. here. Here was the 2002 American League Central where you had two 100-loss teams, <laughs> you had... This might have been the year where the Tigers had two guys on the verge of losing 20 games in their starting rotation, and then they pulled Jeremy Bonderman. It was Mike Maroth, and then they pulled <laughs> Jeremy Bonderman from the rotation. The 2002 AL Central, okay. <laughs> that the Twins won by 13 and a half games. Uh-huh. So the Twins were 94-67. and 67. The White Sox finished 500. The Indians were 74-88. and 88. 20 and a half games back. Yep. And then the Royals went 62 and 100 and the Tigers went 55 and 106. That's some hard. That's, <laughs> that's working really hard to be bad. This division's going to try though. These guys are going to try. When your second place team is 12 games under, you're working hard to be awful. Here's the, here's the 03. I got the 03 American League Central too. These are so th- yeah, this is pretty close too. Oh my god. Okay, Twins went 90 and 72. Mm-hmm. They had three teams above 500, actually, in this division. White Sox went 86 76, Royals 83 79. But then you had Indians 68 and 94. Mm-hmm. And the Tigers in 2003 went 43 and 119. Who managed them back then? Who was the poor sap that had to put up with that collection? I can get that for you. Uh, um,. <laughs> Alan Trammell. Oh, poor Alan Trammell. Alan Trammell. Oh. So that that division, it was a bad division, but you had one outlier team that was right. historically bad. And that happens. Instead of like four teams that are all yeah. sort of equally bad. Yeah. This Ooh. is four. This is this is two bad teams in, in the Tigers and Twins. White Sox are putrid, and then KC is something worse than putrid. Yeah. This division also has the lowest combined payroll of any. So they're, you're getting what you're paying for here in this division. <laughs> It's a, the, the combined payroll in the American League Central is $200 million less than the American League East and uh, almost that same number for the NL West. So you're, you're, you're getting what you're paying for. And the for East sure. is two but, good teams, two great teams. Yes. And the Rays Tampa's have been scrappy. Okay. They've been scrappy. Uh, all right, let's get the, the crafty rogues in here, our soccer-loving foreign friends, funny voices and jokes, and we'll just try to keep up when we come back here. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. This is where the magic starts. Mackie and Judd now continue. Showtime! On 1500 ESPN. Harry Kane is England's priceless gem! Him and him again! And England strike first! We got Cosgrove and Quino, the Crafty Rogues. Find their podcast every week, the Crafty Rogues, on 1500ESPN.com. You can follow them on social media. And uh, we're trying to get Judd interested here in the world's favorite sport. I'm all in on the World Cup. You I was are? I was I was at Caesar's Palace in Vegas two weekends ago, just placing oh, idiot bets and parlays and, and, and losing, losing, but still like all in and spending money on it. And it depresses me that we have this two day gap where we can't watch a game at nine o'clock and another game at one o'clock. So um, it's been I, good. It's has it been? Are we? Are we trapped in the moment saying it's been one of the greatest World Cups of all time in terms of storylines and drama? Or is it just, hey, it's it only def- comes around once in a while and we're excited? It's definitely been one of the most enjoyable. 
I don't know if it's been the best in terms of quality of football across yeah. the board because the game has changed and it's uh, from back in the day in the glorious 70s and maybe we're being sentimental. But it's been very enjoyable. It's been, and a lot of that has got to do with its unpredictability as well. Would you say so, Quino? Yeah, absolutely. But also I think that given the, what's the word I'm groping for, the hesitance about how it would be under, given the regime it's under, you, John, specifically had huge reservations about what kind of World Cup it would be. Unless there's a lot going on that we're not aware of or haven't seen, it's been fantastic. It's been absolutely fantastic. We're going to find out there's a reason why the Russians have gone so far in this World Cup, right? Is that what you're hinting at? <laughs> well, not just that, but <laughs> no, uh, they're, fans, they're fans of a bit of a reputation, um, let, let's say, for uh, for dealing with people that are not the same as them. And that has not risen its ugly head during this World Cup, which has been a joy. And like Quino said, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe there's large camps uh, like there is in Texas, but we're not at, we're not at liberty <laughs> yeah. to that information. Siberia could be filling up as we speak. We just don't know. But I must admit, the stadiums have looked fantastic. And yeah, I, I, I don't know, and, I don't and know what I expected. What's the with Olympics all that sunshine and colour? I mean, I'm still... Thinking of Russia as back in the Cold War days has been very dark and very grey and very uh, um, Russian. And it's been colour <laughs> and there's people smiling and we've got all <laughs> their teeth the and there's They're not nuclear silos everywhere. I'm like, this is not the Russia I remember. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going full Dostoevsky. That's what I was expecting. But it's been fabulous. And the, as John said, perhaps the football hasn't been epic in standard, but the spectacle and the tension in the games has been fantastic. Is this England's year? Because <laughs> they are the Vikings. They'll, they will lead their poor fan no, base no. right along. England have actually won one. The Vikings have Well, that's true. 1966. So it's a bad analogy. 1966. Is this finally th- their year? Or are, are their fans at Brits actually being set up for an even bigger fall when they fail late? The stars appear to have aligned. There is a pathway where you can logically see them making the final, which will just make the heartbreak even greater if they don't. <laughs> and we have a word for that in the Crafty Rogues that came up a couple of weeks ago yeah. when our specific British friends suffer enormous heart- heartbreak. And what do we call it? Well, John was attempting to say Schadenfreude and came out as Schadenfreude. That so, works too. That's close well, enough. I sort of like and, that And one. you know, it also <laughs> works with wanting France to feel pain as well. So France and England feeling pain together is Schadenfreude. So there's, a lot, there's a lot of Vikings-like qualities here, though. Uh, one being when Stefan Diggs in the, uh, in the playoff game against the Saints last year, when he caught the, mir- the miracle play, 60-yard yes. touchdown, and, and it was a fan base used to torment and torture, and all of a sudden it was this feeling of, Oh my God, the fortunes are going our way. This is our year. But that was the peak of it. Yes. And it's like nobody could get off cloud nine in time to get back into the, okay, there's still more games to be played here. And that's my, that's my concern. Well, for one of the more games to be played. One of the things that, one of the qualities of this England team is the understatedness of their manager, Gareth Southgate. There was no expectation on him going into this World Cup. He's remained very calm, very resolute. He's got a plan in his head. I've even read in one of the local, um, business magazines last week that the minute a visit to the Minnesota Timberwolves New Orleans game last year provided him with a little bit of an insight into zonal defending. He's looked at all these other sports as to how to set his team up. Must have been New Orleans defense, not the Timberwolves defense. That's a bad that's a horrible idea. Well our our old friend Chris Wright, the current CEO of Minnesota United and former Timberwolves 
uh, CEO brought him in, and th- apparently those were the discussions. He also went to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. We spent b- quite a bit of time here in Minneapolis. So if England do actually finally win the World Cup in their current uh, generation, we can claim a little bit of the credit here nice. in Minneapolis. That's all we have. I also think that Gareth Southgate has single-handedly revived the waistcoat industry. <laughs> they call it a vest yeah. here it's in a, America. <laughs> Is that was a, a vest and a waistcoat? That's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. It's a waistcoat. The classy yeah. look. A lot of these guys, you've got American football coaches who all look like they just left the buffet and are sort of like the, the hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> they left it a few times. Yeah. And then these, these, especially some of these European soccer coaches, they're all slicked back hair and they've got the Rolex watch on and they're wandering around in the rain with ponderous looks on their faces. I sort of like it. Well, it's not like they just left the buffet. They needed to leave the buffet a lot earlier. <laughs> and, you know, this this goes back to I'm celebrating 19 years in the U.S. this week. And I am twice the man I used to be when I came over first. So it's not a surprise that American coaches are uh, a little more, uh, shall we say, chubby than, oh, fault, than the huh? English. And I'd like to say, you know, they're in Russia where they're still rationing. So there's probably not enough <laughs> calories to go around. <laughs> All right, I got a question for you boys. You got to help me on one thing. Because um, in the soccer I watch, the World Cup is, it's a great tournament, but it's the worst at this. Why all the diving? Why, oh. like, if you watch... We're as frustrated as you but, are. But Na- you, but, Na- Neymar was great, though. But, I had to applaud Neymar. That was some <laughs> but if you watch an EPL diving. game, yeah. guys go, guys get hit, and I see, and it's not like you don't get diving, but not like this. This, to me, is completely r- ridiculous, and it's when your sport is on its biggest stage, and it should be discouraged the most, I think. Well, this is the, the, the moment where it is the hardest part about being a soccer fan, is that when this topic comes up, there is no defence. It's absolute rubbish. We're as, we're as frustrated as you are. I it's mean, rubbish. Like McQuinnell, for example, is a huge rugby fan. And a bit like in hockey, if you go down and you're feigning injury, you're ridiculed, you're, you're shamed for the rest of your life. Like, Neymar should not be allowed out in public again. Showman should show him a little video of what he did. And they've put together this, a uh, couple of the media outlets in the UK have put together a team uh, and they use a very colourful word that I can't use on this uh radio station to describe a certain number of players who are famous for doing this and feigning injury or just being general wankers to use that that term and Neymar of course is is the first one on the team sheet Um, but thankfully and hopefully the way the game is going that'll eventually work itself out and they won't be rewarded because we don't want them to be rewarded. In Australian rules football there is a term called staging which is if you take a dive and the the players are basically shunned. There is a stigma attached to any kind of simulation. As John said, the whole ethos is don't show them you're hurt, show no pain, just get up and get going. And the the histrionics that come with, not just with the World Cup, but given that it's on display and in the shop window, it cannot be justified, it's hard to defend, and it's, it's frankly embarrassing. What, what, what I find to be the most hilarious, though, is to carry out the dive properly, you'd now have to limp around the field for like five additional minutes. So not only are you <laughs> embarrassing yourself while flopping around on the ground and grabbing your leg like a sniper just shot a bullet through your calf, you have to sort of, to save face and make it seem like, I am sort of injured, you have to limp for like the next three minutes and now you're costing your team in that regard. Well, too. the other good one is when someone goes down 
and the ref ignores it and play goes on. He'll be there and they, they sort of take a peek up and see what's going on. No, he hasn't looked. I'll put my head back down. And the, the play's gone 80 yards away and finally, because the crowd are going nuts and this guy's team is pointing and yelling at the other team to kick it out, the ball goes out. The guy's picked up. No, he's coming. So I'll look hurt. Here's The ref gets there and within 10 seconds he's up on his feet. Here's the, here's the, the, the flip side of that is... When a player actually does get hurt, because there's quite a few nasty injuries in football, especially ACL injuries or twisted ankles or ligaments, when they go down and they're in serious pain, they're not, they don't have the energy to do. So the first clue that it's a joke is that they have all the energy to scream and roll around. Right. Because when you're actually hurt, you don't have that energy. You're focused on the pain yeah, and you just curl yeah, up in really a fetal hurt. position. Yeah. The you're only really way, hurt. The only way you would be, you would be acting with, with that level of, of histrionics is if there's like a bone protruding through your leg and you were yes. in shock looking at what was happening. Yes. Yeah. And that has happened a couple of times in football where a guy's legs have been broken and it's been, but the whole game stops. There isn't there isn't that energy around. But again, because this diving sometimes gets rewarded with a penalty kick or a free kick, this is what keeps encouraging them to do it. And now with all these video referees and everything else, we're hoping that it'll become less and less. Yeah. So is there a solution? I mean, is there? I I suggested some type of card for diving. Now that yeah. that that might be tough to. They'll give you that yeah, once to, in a while. But, if it's well, bad, if, if it's diving, the card should be something like eight point five. You know, it's like the, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is incredible. The judges. <laughs> it, it is incredible that this is the tournament in which it seems to be yeah. just. I mean, the other the other so element the other element that came in, especially in the England Columbia game, was these players surrounding the referee after he's made a decision. From when the ref give England their penalty, three and a half minutes went by because they're actually in his face poking the referee, which is unheard of. They have a great solution in rugby, which I think should be brought into the soccer uh, arena. Yeah, you just can't touch an official if you do. Thanks for coming. And only the captain can speak to the, to the, the referee. Way. And everybody yep. else just stand. But they were basically surrounding him. And of course now after the game and they've lost, they've lodged an appeal saying that the, because the referee was an American and he spoke English, he was biased against them. The reason he gave so many decisions against them was because it, they deserved it and they deserved more guys to get sent off. And he was actually being quite lenient on them. Yeah. Did you, did you guys, uh, Crafty Rogues are hanging out with us here, Mackie and Judd in the uh, TCL broadcast studios. Did you see after Japan's heartbreaking, we can talk about that goal that, the closest you'll come to a buzzer-beating, so to speak, yes. uh, goal, game-winning goal by Belgium. Did you see after the game, though, the Japanese team left their locker room spotless with a thank-you note in it? Yeah, like usually and, you just and their, fans, their fans left their section of the stadium spotless. spotless. The, that's awfully it, good sportsmanship. They cleaned it up. They did. They showed them cleaning it yeah. up. The most famous national rugby team in the world is the New Zealand All Blacks. And they are, you know, a perennially dominant force in world rugby. And for years, they have cleaned their own locker room, home or away. The, the players, they so come they look the like a bunch of savages. With they are savages. And then, but, but at the end of the day, they're... They've yeah, got manners. Part yeah. of their culture. That's Which is a incredible. wonderful thing, yeah. Imagine uh, that in this country. Because we're going to trash this studio before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, especially if you just if you lose a game like that, where not only did you blow a 2-0 lead with 30 minutes to go, but there's 30 seconds left in regulation, give or take, and you have a corner kick yeah. 120 yards away from yeah. the opposing team's goal they're trying to score well, on. Well, part of that strategy was... They knew they didn't have enough gas in the tank for another 30 minutes. Belgium had a lot of heavy hitters that they were bringing off the bench. They needed to get it done within the standard time. This was their best chance. That's why they went for it. Yeah. And, and then just to backpedal a little bit about, uh, heartbreaking, I watched Japan play 
Poland in the previous game where they're just tippy-tapping it around, uh, betting that Sonegal in the other game wouldn't win with really bad sportsmanship. So I'm kind of like, maybe there is a little bit of camera there, but at the end of the day, the class of cleaning the dressing room and cleaning the stand probably rounds it all out nicely. Yeah. Then there's the strategy too. Uh, Russia implemented this against Spain. They'll sh- sometimes they'll show the possession graphics where like Spain was 80% possession and they were just... <laughs> And Russia, I felt like watching with my amateur eyes, they played two hours just trying to get to penalty yes. kicks yep. so that they could have a chance to win and the game. And, and they did. Spain had more passes in that game than Russia's had in the entire World Cup. It's that's, amazing. That's the stat that comes out of that game. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. That was the only way, because Spain, Russia couldn't stand toe-to-toe with Spain from a footballing perspective, so they have to use this strategy. But some way, I mean, sometimes the the possession stats are not really relative. I mean, that is a tactical choice. Mm -hmm. Russia knew all along that Spain would have the ball for 75% of the time. That's the way they set out their stall. That's no surprise. Russia's not good, correct? No, they're not good. We talked about that. They are difficult. They are obdurate. They're stubborn. They're gritty. They're what? They're gritty. Hockey Uh, team. They're They're a gritty team. They're gritty. They pack it in, right? I mean, they're just like... They're, They're not particularly gifted. Now, what what also is very enjoyable for us during this World Cup, and we have our show every week, even during the World Cup, with all the mayhem down at Brits Pub, because Brits have that bowling green on the roof and they can fit a thousand people on it, to be there the other day in a quote-unquote British pub with English guys there, but yet... 95% of the people there were wearing Columbia shirts with yeah. glory. Like, those that, are the what, things what that make that it at, fun. What was that? Because it's a Columbia bar, too. What What was the atmosphere like throughout that game? Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, singing, chanting. I mean, England was pretty much dominating the game, but as Colombia was creeping back, and a little monsoon blew through as well, and yeah. a few <laughs> a few dodged the, the raindrops, but a f- most of them stayed where they were. But our favorite moment, of course, was when... Uh, our old friend Tony Mayhew, uh, who, who shall, whose employer shall remain nameless to save face, ran down from the balcony into the middle of the Colombian crowd, waving his England shirt, shirt off like a, any good Englishman on vacation. And, uh, security had to tell him to leave. <laughs> security, ironically, happened to be his son. Oh. <laughs> Dad, put on your shirt. Yeah. It's time to go home. Yeah. Oh, did he? T- <laughs> words you, <laughs> words you don't, surprised? words you don't often hear from a bouncer. Come on, <laughs> come on, Dad. Come on, come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. It's time Dad. to get out of here. It's time so, to go home and watch the rest so of the match. 18 left starting back up tomorrow at uh, at 9 o'clock central time. I believe Uruguay France is the first game to go off. In yeah, the, that's going to be a tasty one. So you've got this loaded bracket of four on one side and then you've got England and Sweden uh, Russia, Croatia. Who wins this thing? Is it, it, are you, you, would are you fancy, carving England off to the, you to would the fancy You would fancy England to beat Sweden. Uh, you would fancy Croatia as a footballing team to beat Russia, but then if Russia parked the bus again, but I'm still confident Croatia have enough skill in the in the and drive, and a few big boys they can throw up front that uh, Spain didn't have to penetrate the Russians and get rid of the Russians. So England, Croatia in the semi final, anybody's game. A game could go to extra time, could go to penalties. That's why I'm calling it. So it's a lottery. You can take the other side, France, Uruguay. Uh, well, you would on talent, you would think France would win that, but Uruguay, as we have discussed on this program before, uh, very difficult to break down. They defend well. They don't create many chances, but when they do, they have two world-class strikers yes, with the ability to put them away. Brazil, um, I tip Brazil to win it all. Uh, Brazil-Belgium may well end up being one of the games of the tournament, but I'll still go with Brazil. I think they'll win it all because I think they have the most talent, and at some point you would hope that talent will 
we now. So maybe Brazil over Russia England. will not lose on, on a bad call, though, gents. I can assure you of that. <laughs> there, there will be no bad call to cost the Russians that match. And before we go, because, you know, there's no point in being on a, on a uh, widely distributed radio show like this without mentioning, because you guys were kind enough uh, 96 episodes ago to jump on the Crafty Roads minibus as it was then. Now it's expanded to a slightly larger bus. Uh, we have our 100th episode coming up on July 20th. Minnesota United coach Adrian Heath will be there. Thankfully, they won last night, which means he'll still have a job, which will be yeah. on the show. <laughs> We're doing a live show, live interview with Adrian Heath. And then because, you know, the whole uh, tradition that our old friend Carol Craig started with Wonderwall at the end of a, a win, we have an Oasis tribute band playing afterwards. Wow. And it's free of charge. All the stuff. And it's a Friday night. And wow. it's a Friday oh, night. I might be Boy, Ubering this that. Is gonna be... and, and there's going to be discounted beer because right now a pint of beer down down costs you $27. Yeah. It's going to be slightly less than that at British Club. I'm definitely taking a cab, boys. <laughs> Lift, Uber, a cab. I ain't driving to that one. Uh, Crafty Rogues, find their podcast, 1500ESPN.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, enjoy the rest of the See world. Guys. Cup, Thanks, gentlemen. boys. Yeah, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie. It's the worst thing I do at ESPN. Judd Zolgad. I just want to drink and watch TV. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. An event that's all about bacon and beer. It's happening. Believe it. The Bacon and Beer Classic takes over CHS Field Saturday, July 14th. Get your tickets now to enjoy 100-plus beers. 30-plus bacon dishes, music, a bacon-eating contest, and more. Go VIP to get in an hour early and receive exclusive access to limited-edition beer made just for the event, plus a donut wall. More details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. You know, I've been thinking more about your your flopping conundrum here in the World Cup in soccer. Yes. If you're deemed to have been flopping or faking an injury, you get one warning and then the second offense, we do harm to the limb that you're faking. Like, we'll, oh, so like we, we break your left, you. like your left leg. You're pretending like it hurts. It's now the second time we gave you a warning. Yep. And now, you know, someone from uh, the Russian KGB comes out and just breaks your left leg. You hobble them. You hobble them. <laughs> That'll it's teach like, them to flop. It's like a mob hit. <laughs> exactly. You bring you Kathy flop, Bates here's in. There's a, a mob hit. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you no, doing? No, no, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. You don't sorry. have to do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It did hurt for a second. Sorry, Neymar. We're going to have to take out your left ankle now. So R- Russia's still playing. I want to know what poor saps have to officiate that match now. Seriously, I would want no part of that. As opposed to the other four that they've played that have... No, I'm just saying anything anything as they advance, if I'm an official, I want no part of... It's previously yes, but now I really don't want to be the guy. But I feel like, okay, even as shady as Russian athletics and everything can be, yep. it would look entirely too shady if they made it beyond like the round of eight. I think their goal was to just not get embarrassed. It was. Get out of your group. Maybe win a game but, out of your group. It's going to look awfully shady if they have a 5 nothing lead on Brazil in the final, yeah. though, right? I mean, come on. And all the Brazil players are like, but if there's the a real qu- players are tied up in the locker room. But if there's a questionable call and and two weeks from now I disappear, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to give Russia the call. Well, you won't feel anything about it. You'll be dead. Right. That's, that's my, if, you know, I'm just, my point being that if you are officiating that match and you happen to make it, sure. there's a, and, and a guy from Russia, let's say he dives. <laughs> And it's an obvious dive. Are you going to think to yourself, that's an obvious dive? I'm not going to call you. Ah, uh, yellow card. 
Yep. One more flopping nugget. When you guys were gone last week, it was last Monday when it was Jamie Watson and Dan Terhar filling in. We were talking soccer and flopping, and Watson would not confirm nor deny this report that he gave us completely out of his own free will. So I have a feeling it's confirmed. There's, I don't know if every team does it or it just happened to be one team he played on, but the rule literally was you take a fall. If you go down, raise your left arm if you're faking it. Raise your right arm if you're actually hurt. Wow. So that your sideline, so, so that, that so, so they that your know, trainer knew, don't waste your time coming yes, out here. Exactly. If you were just throwing up a stink trying to get a card, you you know yell at the ref with your left arm in the way. Hey, hey, hey! But if you, if you actually hurt your ACL, you go right arm, and the trainer knows so they, to get the gurney. So they practice flopping tactics essentially. <laughs> Correct. So Watson okay. provided this this information, but then said, "I can't really confirm it, despite the fact it's absolutely true." <laughs> That's correct. Like if you're so going like to say that, only then somebody on a soccer team professionally would know. That I mean, this hypothetically, <laughs> if I'm really hurt, I'm going to raise my right hand. Exactly. But I, I would say <laughs> flopping bothered me a lot more before the video review. Because not like video review renders flopping almost irrelevant. It used to be that if you took a dive in the right way in the box and they didn't go review it, it was just, oh, like, that looked pretty bad. I guess we're going to call this a foul and give a team a penalty kick. But now it's, I mean, you could you could take a dive or flop in the box. They're just going to go sure, look at it. But I think to, to Cosgrove's point, it's just embarrassing. It's it's amusing. It's, a, it's amusing. It's embarrassing. If you like the sport a lot, it's it, embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Dive if, is embarrassing. It's embarrassing if it leads to goals in a one nothing environment or two one environment, and it doesn't anymore because they go back and they I mean, look. Neymar had the ball between his legs. Some guy barely stepped on, on his leg to pick up the ball, and you would have thought he'd be shot with a howitzer. Yeah. And then he had, like I said in the last segment, he has to now carry it out. If when you act like that, yeah. You have to carry it out to some extent. You have to limp around the field for like three minutes. Like you're fake limping now. And running slower than you normally would, and the other team has an advantage because you're carrying out. You should have to the flop on behalf of your ego, at least, right? If if you do that, you've got to come out. You can't stay in. But how do you quantify it? You've got to be how do you quantify? If you get up, you're out. If you can get up, you're out. If you can't get up, and and the gurney comes out, that's fine. What if you're just tough as hell? You're Paul Pierce. You get carried to the locker room and you come back out in a wheelchair, ready to play again. (laughs) Yeah, well. I'm just trying to help out, okay? Well, That's all I'm ever trying to do. The NBA started fining guys, and yeah. then isn't it like if and you had put out like, a video? At, yeah, well. They embarrass you. But they had, uh, they had was it a rule where if you flop and get fined five times or six times, eventually it leads to a one-game suspension Correct. of some kind. Yeah. I don't know if they That's have the something right like that, if FIFA has something like that. Now, if you get a second, I think you can get a yellow card for aggressively diving. Mm-hmm. So if you get two yellow cards you'll be in a tournament, you're out for the next game. Like Ronaldo, if Spain had won the game against Russia, was it Russia? Who'd they lose to? Whatever it was. Like, or no, I'm sorry, Portugal. Portugal got beat. If Portugal had won that game, Ronaldo, because of two yellow cards, wouldn't have been able to play in the round of in the round of eight. Ooh. So you could you could ramp up the punishments. I just think you could make it very simple. If you go down and you writhe around, you must come out of the match. There, okay. I just fixed the problem. I like the yellow card system too, where instead of throwing a flag or getting face to face. Oh, the yellow like, cards are great. Like oh, yeah. if, like if umpires could just walk up to arguing managers and just hold a yellow card in like their Joe face, West? and then pull up the one finger. No, no, like Joe yeah. West, yeah. who couldn't help himself but to start swearing. You got to have the good posture too, as the referee. Yes, yeah, stand up, up yep. straight, shoulders back. Ha! Yeah. there's the card, sir. Angel Hernandez has issued a red card. <laughs> Imagine uh, who is that old ref in the NBA who retired a few years ago? Dick Bavetta. <laughs> well, like Dick Crawford, Bavetta yeah. going going up, or Joey Crawford? Cro- yeah. Joey Crawford. <laughs> Joey Crawford. <laughs> red card. <laughs>
That's it, Pop. You're out. Goes to Tim Duncan on the bench. <laughs> Yellow card. Sorry, Tim. Oh, man. I'm imagining Ed Hockley. Oh, what's this I have here? <laughs> yeah, it's the That's, right. card. That's 23 yellow cards. <laughs> I'm lifting a stack of them <laughs> off to the right over here. Uh, Matthew Collar will join us when we come back. Mackie and